welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bellevue Sermon Podcast. Today's message comes to you from the pulpit of Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, through our Sunday morning preaching ministry. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you, and that the Lord would use it for His glory. service of 2024. And so, if you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Again, that is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And we're going to be looking at a sermon that I have titled, New Year, New Me. Now, that phrase is much more than just the title of the sermon this morning. It is a phrase that has been frequently quoted posted and lived out this last week. All over the world, throughout the country, there are many people who are looking for a new start, a fresh start in the year of our Lord 2024. Around the nations, gyms are full, goals are set, and Christian Bibles are open. But it is well known that the second Friday in January is often known as Quitter's Day. Because 90% of the New Year's goals have already failed and been forgotten. Why is it that we cannot do these things we set our minds to? I think so often it is because nothing truly has changed except the date. It's a new year, but let's face it, it's still the same old you. If you eat unhealthy food all the time, why is January 1st different? If we live a sedentary lifestyle all year, why is January 1st different? Now, I'm not trying to discourage anyone in their goals. In fact, just the opposite. But what I am saying is that if we want to be able to do any of these noble things, it requires a change in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we move, in our very being. It's a life change. In order for it to truly be a new you, the new you has to be different from the old you. And this is something that the early church dealt with in terms of believers. And it's something that we deal with today. You see, there are tons of people who say, I want to live a Christian life. I want to be a stronger believer this year. Or I want God to use my life. And yet, there's never been any real change in their life. They're just still the same old them. Doctrinally speaking, the only way we can live the Christian life and actually do the things that God has called us to do is because we are a new creation. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Through the work of Christ and the grace of God, we are changed from that old sinful self to a new creation in Christ. If you're not a new creation, then you're not saved. And if you are saved, then you are a new creation. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to answer the question, how are we to live as a new creation? What does this mean? And what does it look like in our lives? Our text this morning, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, tells us we are to put off the old and to put on the new. The text tells us that if we're believers, we must throw out the old and live as a new creation in Christ. And so, if you are physically able and willing, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. I'm reading from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. Ephesians 4:17 through 24. 
And Paul tells us this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you so much for the truthfulness of your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this wonderful time that we've had in worship this morning. And Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, you would shape us, you'd mold us, you'd convict us, you'd encourage us. Lord, you would have your will to be done during this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, to this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been giving the church in Ephesus a discourse on grace. Uh, In fact, if you were going to look at at any book and and want to do a deep study on grace, Ephesians would be the place to go. Uh, When we did our series through the five solas of the Reformation and we looked at what it means to be saved by grace alone, naturally we go to the book of Ephesians. But here what's happening is, is we see that there are some of the richest passages of Scripture are found in the book of Ephesians. In the simplest possible outline, in order to give you a little bit of background in the time we have together this morning, Ephesians can really be divided into two sections. Uh, the first three chapters deal with the doctrine of grace, and the last three chapters deal with the implications of the doctrine of grace. Right? So in the, in the first three chapters, we're given this deep doctrinal teaching. Right? For instance, Ephesians 1 talks about uh, being predestined and, and what is predestination. Ephesians 2 deals with grace through faith. Uh, Ephesians 3, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. He's diving into what is truly, again, this doctrine of grace. But in chapter 4, Paul switches gears and he says, if you're a believer, you need to believe all of those things. And the implication of that is this. And he starts talking about things like unity in the body of Christ. If we truly believe the doctrines of grace as we're supposed to, then We will find unity in the body of Christ. We'll walk in a new life. We'll walk in love. And we will uh, be people who uh, have marital relations in the right way as wives and husbands. So on and so forth. You can continue all the way into the sixth chapter where you see, again, that uh, another implication of that is how we parent, how we interact with those in the workplace, how we engage in spiritual warfare, and so on. But here, as we look at this text specifically, the implication is that we have new life in Christ and we need to walk in that new life. We need to truly be the new creation that God has recreated us to be. Paul here tells the church clearly, the gospel of Christ is the truth. Um, I've shared with you before, I love the way that Paul talks here and, and he's so direct to the church. That's not the way you learn Christ, assuming you've heard about Him. And we're taught in him as the truth 
is in Jesus. We know that the ultimate source of truth is the gospel of Christ. And Paul says the old way, the old life is not how you learned Christ. It's not the gospel that was preached to you. It's not the gospel of truth. Christ has called us to live lives unto him, to forsake the world and and to seek first the kingdom of God. He has called us to be holy for he is holy. The truth of the gospel is the truth that we are changed by his glorious grace. And so what we see here is that this change is assumed. If we are a believer, we are different than we used to be. That's the whole point. We are no longer people who are dead in sin, but alive in Christ. We no longer have hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. We are changed. We're different. We are a new creation. But Paul here gives the Ephesian church three things to do as people who are living as new creations. And these three things are vitally important for us to remember today. We're going to live as a new creation. We need to, first of all, put off the old self. Put off the old self. We see this clearly here in in, in verse 22. What are we taught to do in Christ? To put off our old self. What is the old self? Paul here very clearly in in verse 22 says that the old self is that which belongs to your former manner of life and it is corrupt. This is the life before Christ, a life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. This is a life in which we are not led by the truth of God's word, but we're led by our stomach, right? As Paul would say in a different place, the, the God is their belly. Led by appetite, by desires, and specifically deceitful, sinful desires of the flesh. That's the old self. We realize that the call to follow Christ is the call to take up your cross and to follow Him. It is a call to die to self. And so as we think about that old sinful self, and we think about for us as believers who we used to be, we're to put it off. Paul says, put it off. Get rid of it. This is the language of removing clothes, right? The language of changing clothes. If I were to take this jacket off, I've seen some pastors do that. You know, I'm not big on the object illustrations. If I were to take this jacket off and throw it over there, that's putting it off, right? But my microphone's attached to it, so I'm not doing that. That's the idea, right? Changing clothes. To remove a set of garments and to put on something else. That's what Paul is telling us here. Take off the old self like the dirty old rags that it is. That sinfulness, that that old self, the old man is to be put off and cast away. But in keeping with the clothes analogy, we need to realize that we need to put it off like a man would and not like a woman. I say this in this way. We are not to fold it up neatly so that we can put it back on later. We're to do what a man would do. Wad that thing up and chunk it across the room where it will land forever and will be totally unwearable unless it is washed clean. When we're talking about the old self, throw it away. Don't come back to it later on. Don't don't come back to it to put it on. We are to put the old self off. Just to kind of further drive this point home, we can think of this about clothes again in another way, right? Suppose there's a prisoner who has been released from jail. 
He's been in jail for a while. He is now released. He has his freedom. He's back in the real world. But instead of changing into new clothes, he continues to wear his orange jumpsuit everywhere he goes. We realize a prisoner who is freed isn't walking around in an orange jumpsuit because that is indicative of his past, not his present freedom. For us as Christians... We don't need to continue to walk around in the old self, to continue to walk around in that same old sinful way that we used to. If we are changed, we need to walk in such a way and put on such a thing that is indicative of our present freedom, not our past bondage. In the same way, Christians who are same way as a prisoner, Christians who are changed and freed from the bondage of sin, we don't need to be walking around in the old self. The thing about the old self is that it's really not that much different than that bright orange jumpsuit, right? It's clear. It's obvious. If we look at the text here, we see that the old self is is explained in very specific terms. Paul here is urgently explaining what the old self looks like at the beginning of our passage here in verses 17 through 19. What's he telling the Ephesian church to do? He says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words here, he's he's talking about unbelievers. When he's using this terminology of Gentiles, he's saying, don't walk like unbelievers, like godless people. Paul urged this church not to walk like unbelievers, and boy, do we need that message today. We are not to walk as people who are godless. We're not to live lives that are no different than those of the world. In fact, if there's nothing different about you when you're compared to the world, that is a major problem. If your desires and your interests and your entertainment and your appetite is no different than that of the culture at large, you are likely still walking in the old self and you need to shed that thing. We need to get rid of it. Paul says it is not an option. You must not continue to walk like that. It's incompatible with the gospel. And so listen, though, to what Paul continues to say. People who walk like that, the world, non-believers, listen to their plight. He says they walk in the futility of the mind. In other words, they think but their thinking gets them nowhere and their thinking doesn't lead to true understanding. Have we met people like this? You know, uh, just this last week, I, I was at an apologetics conference in, in New Orleans and it's so funny, we, we spend all these time talking about these arguments for the faith, the proof that we have that, that God truly does exist and is loving and that the Bible is true and real and reliable and here's the thing about it. There are some smart people in this world who are not believers in the Lord. And they can tell you some things. Right? For instance, they can say, oh yeah, the sky is blue. The law of gravity is this. The the second law of thermodynamics says this. But they completely miss the point. You see, there's futility in that thinking. They think about important things and even good things. And as we think about godless people, even on a, on a smaller basis, they may think about things like hard work or values or family. But apart from Christ, it is futile and it is meaningless because it misses the entire point in reasoning for all of those things. That is the way of the old self. 
It's a futility in thinking that says, hey, we can think these good things, but ultimately we are missing the point. Because the point and purpose of all things is the glory of God. Well, why is this? It's because their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God due to their hardness of heart. Again, this is the nature of sin. We're we're born that way, right? We're born with a darkened understanding. We're born with hearts hardened against the truth of God. We're born alienated from God because of sin. And this plays out in this way. If your thinking is futile, it's ultimately hollow. And everything that is not rooted in the glory of God and the worship of God ultimately is hollow. They think the futility of their minds, their understanding is dark and they're alienated from life. They're ignorant due to the hardness of heart. And so what happens to them? They become callous and they give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Growing up, um, I just remember thinking that my dad had the most callous hands in the entire world. Um, My dad was a a blacksmith and among other things, but as as a blacksmith, right, he would just have these calloused hands that were just so rough. And and when um, when the waiter at the Mexican restaurant would say hot plate, he'd just grab it on purpose just to show him it didn't bother him. Calluses are, are build-ups that stop feeling, right? Uh, naturally, we, we think of pain, like the heat, right? And with the hot plate at the Mexican restaurant and my dad there. But it's not just pain, it's feeling in general. And when you can't feel, you chase something to make you feel. And this is what happens. When they become callous, they give themselves up to sensuality. Sensuality here is this word that that literally means stuff that appeals to the senses. Anything that appeals to to our sight, or to to sounds good, or that smells good, or that tastes good, or that feels good. And the world is constantly pursuing sensuality because it's thinking in the futility of its mind. It's darkened in its understanding. The world and the people in it, they are alienated from the life of God. And so when they become callous because they find no meaning and purpose in a life that doesn't live to the glory of God, they chase after things that appeal to the senses. And it says they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we know what greedy is, right? It's that we want more and more of it. Greedy here to practice every kind of impurity is the idea that again... People who are living this sort of lifestyle, they want more and more sin, more and more impurity because of the law of diminishing returns, which we've talked about here before, that what used to feel good doesn't satisfy me anymore. I need something else. I need something more. I have to go deeper and farther and harder and more and more into impurity. This is the way of the old self. And so many of us, we think that we know better than Paul. And rather than avoiding these things, we think we can take a little bit of it and it won't hurt us. But look at the end of the old self. If we persist, this is where we wind up. Now, if you're here today, the the general idea is that you want to live a Christian life, right? We want to glorify the Lord. 
We don't want to wind up in a situation where we're greedy for more impurity, where we're callous and, and we find no meaning and no purpose because our life is not lived for the glory of God. So what do we do? We put off the old self. We throw it away. Do not persist in it. Put it off. Secondly, though, we see here that not only are we to put off this old self, but we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Whenever we talk about renewal in the Bible, the idea of regeneration is always involved. Regeneration, again, is the moment that we are recreated to be a new creation by the Holy Spirit so that we can live the Christian life and see the truth of God's word. Right? It's where the Holy Spirit changes our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh that we will then be enabled to see the truth of God's word, to respond to God's glorious grace. We, we look at this in, in such a way that we realize regeneration is the moment we become a new creation. Notice that this is how the renewal takes place. We are renewed how? In the spirit which changes and shapes our mind. But we cannot think about renewal and regeneration without going to Romans 12.2, which tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here that the text is clear. Paul is consistent, whether it's in Romans or here in Ephesians, that we must be renewed. Rather than being conformed to the world, as is the custom of the world, and, and as was the custom of the Ephesian church, obviously, since he's having to warn them about these things, we are to be renewed. We're to put on the new. So many Christians have bought into the myth of neutrality, right? which is this idea that we can just kind of hold where we are. That, you know, there are things in this world that are, that are morally neutral. And to a degree, we have to realize that that's not the case. There is no staying the same. We're either moving closer to newness and Christ-likeness, or we are moving backwards toward worldliness and the old self. And so we need to realize and start thinking about our actions in terms of the fact that everything we do is either putting on newness, or it's going back to the old self. What's so sad is that so many people, instead of being renewed, they regress. Well, how does that happen? We know that true believers will not totally and finally fall away, right? They're held and kept by the grace of God, but they can backslide. So whether we're talking about backslidden believers here or, or even that unbeliever which would uh, confess, in air quotes, Christ for a moment, but were never truly changed, the process of regression is similar. One of my absolute favorite theologians is uh, J.C. Ryle. He was an English uh, theologian. And he illustrated this regression or falling back into sin in the old self with a ladder up against a house. Um, if you're like me, I do not like heights. Right? I do not enjoy it. I don't like being up high. But J.C. Ross said there are two ways to get down from a high place like a roof when you've climbed up it on a ladder. The two ways are either to jump or to descend down the steps. Ryle's point is this. When it comes to people who fall back into the old self, there, there are two ways that happens. One is that they just get to a point and they dive headlong right back into it. 
We know these people, right? They, they will come into the church, they'll walk the aisle, they'll make a profession of faith, they'll get dunked or whatever, and then they just seem like they fall completely off a cliff and go right back to doing what they were doing. Uh, Simon the sorcerer would be a good biblical uh, sort of illustration. He comes, he makes this profession of faith, and then next thing you know, he's trying to buy the Holy Spirit like a parlor trick. But more often than just the falling off the cliff mentality, people who jump are those who descend the ladder via steps. There's a series of poor mistakes in judgment, a series of mistakes in biblical application, a series of things that happens where slowly and surely they go back to the way they were before. They take those steps. And it's almost to the point that the progress is so slow. It's like when you haven't seen somebody in a long time and then you see them and you're like, man, you have lost 100 pounds. But if you've been seeing them every day, you don't really see it, right? Now, that's a good example. But when we take this and we apply it to a negative example, it's this idea that in our life we make these series of compromises at points and we go back to the old self. How do we renew rather than regress, right? We don't want to regress, Again, first of all, we have to go back to that point I made a moment ago. We need to realize that we are either moving forward or we're moving backward. But the biggest thing we see here is that we are to be renewed. If we're being continually renewed, we won't be regressing. And the thing about renewal is that it's very interesting. When it comes to renewal, the way that we are renewed is by our biblical intake. It's by intake. Again, if you are any sort of a mechanical person, you know, your car needs several things in order to function, right? Your engine. You need spark. You need air. So on and so forth. But here's the thing. If your intake gets out of whack, your engine won't run correctly. And the same is true for us when it comes to our life. We need the right intake. We need biblical truth. If we start intaking more of the world then scripture, we have a problem. If we bring in the world, we get worldliness out. Biblical intake leads to biblical living, but worldly intake leads to worldly living. Because no matter how strong we think we are, ultimately what we're doing is descending the steps of that ladder. Listen, I, I know that the resolution to read the Bible is one that frequently fails as well. Again, second Friday, Quitter's Day. But the reason that I think the resolution to read the Bible fails so often and is at a similar rate as so many other things is because it fails for the same reason we fail at eating better. Our taste and our appetite is so conditioned to bad stuff. You ever noticed that we don't have to resolve or set a goal to eat more junk food or watch more Netflix or TV? Never once thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat more Cheetos this year. I'm going to gain 20 pounds. I'm going to spend more time watching TV. No, the, no one says that. We do those things because our appetite is for them. Our desire is for them. We need to realize that falling into those things and giving into those worldly desires is not being renewed. It's just going right back to the old self. 
We have to throw that off and be renewed. The only way we do that is to see our tastes change by the grace of God and persist. I hated turnip greens growing up. I refused to eat them. But you know, after years of forcing myself to do it, I like a turnip green. Sometimes I even want it. We need to persist in God's word and let it shape and mold us as God wills. And we realize that we can't totally do all of this in our own strength. It's not just up to our willpower and strength. It's by the grace of God. We have to continue to persist in these things and trust the Lord and know that as believers, the Lord will shape us. He'll change our appetite. That's part of being a new creation But some of us, again, have become so content with eating the junk of the world that we forget the glorious nourishment of God's Word. Put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Transform your minds by intaking the Word of God. And finally, number three, we need to put on the new self. Again, the language here is related to clothing. Just as put off is the idea of taking off the dirty rags of our old self, the putting on here is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We put off the old and we put on the new. But again, we need to realize that this is not trying it on, right? This is not going in a dressing room, putting it on for a second, and then taking it off again. No, this is a permanent putting on. It is our outfit for life. The righteousness of Christ. And beyond just it being our outfit for life, it is the outfit of eternity. Paul again speaks of the new self in other areas, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 is perhaps the most famous. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And our text here says in verse 24, that when we put on the new self, it is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness in holiness. It's created after the likeness of God. It's only possible through the work of Christ on the cross. He takes our old self, our sin, and we are given his righteousness. And so the idea here is that we are a new creation created after the likeness of God. We are newly created in righteousness. The defining characteristic of the old self is pretty clear, right? We had to sum it up in one word, it would be sin. Old self, the primary characteristic of it is sin. But the new self, the primary characteristic is righteousness. We cannot do that on our own. We are wearing borrowed clothes. Clothes that were bought for us and given to us by the grace of God. That is Christ's righteousness. But created after the likeness of God also has a second implication, and this is Christ-likeness, right? Paul repeatedly says throughout his writings that we're to imitate Christ and to imitate others only in as much as they imitate Christ, right? We see it in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. But John also says this in 1 John 2, 6, where he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. If we are truly living in Christ, we need to walk in the same way he walked. We need to imitate Christ. We are to be created in Christ's likeness after the likeness of God. 
And again, if we begin to hold up our life, the standard of our life is not that we're more like the, the celebrities of the world. It's not that we're more like our, our favorite political candidate. It's not like that we're more like even a, a beloved family member, like a grandma or that sweet grandfather who was so faithful. No, it is that we're to be more like Christ. The new life is to be patterned after Him and to pursue a life that looks more like Christ than anything else. But Paul doesn't just say that it was created after the likeness of God, but it's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness, we realize, is not the filthy rags of our own merit or our own abilities. True righteousness is not the, the false religion of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus told him, unless, you, unless you're more righteous than these Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven. True righteousness is found in Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him, this is God making Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When we're saved by Jesus, we are given true righteousness because we are given Christ's righteousness. Romans 1.17 tells us the righteous shall live by faith. 2 Corinthians 6.14, though, tells us the importance of living a life of righteousness, a living a life that is separate from the old self. Because 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? We're thinking about the church here. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Put the old self to death and put on the new self in Christ-likeness, in true righteousness, and in holiness. Hebrews 12.14 tells us that uh, we are to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, the author of Hebrews says that uh, without holiness we will not see the Lord. Paul says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called us to be holy. Now, when we think about all these things, Christ-likeness, righteousness, holiness, none of those are possible in the old self. It's only possible by the grace of God when we put on the new self. So the encouragement is pretty clear, right? We're to throw off the old. We're to be renewed and put on the new. And so the question that we have very simply and very pointedly is, have we done this? Have you thrown off the old self by God's grace and put on the new? Or are you still walking around in prison clothes and dirty rags? I want to end our time together with a story this morning. Um, I love soccer, which I realize is weird in this part of the country. Uh, but I do love it. And one of my absolute favorite soccer stories comes from England in the 60s. There's a famous soccer player named Bobby Moore, and he was considered the greatest soccer defender to ever play. In fact, uh, the Brazilian Pele said he is the best defender known to man. After a successful season at West Ham United, Moore was chosen as the captain of the English national soccer team. Therefore, it was Bobby Moore who received the World Cup from the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, when they won the World Cup in 1966. 
The interviewer later asked him to describe how he felt in that moment. You know, and, and they were thinking, oh, you know, he's so excited to meet the queen. You know, he just won the World Cup. This is the most exciting moment of his life. What is he going to say? Bobby Moore talked about how terrified he was as he approached Her Majesty. Because he noticed she was wearing white gloves. While his hand, which would soon shake the queen's, was covered in thick black mud. And what's interesting is as he was walking along the balcony, the whole moment he's walking up from the field up into the stands to go shake the hand of the queen and receive the World Cup, instead of joy, he's scared in his movements. Moore keeps wiping his hand on his shorts the whole time. And then on the velvet cloth in front of the royal box, he's trying to wipe it in a desperate attempt to get himself clean. But no matter what he did, the mud covered him and it just smeared even more. I read this story in a book, and the, the author asked the following question. He said, if Bobby Moore was worried about approaching the queen with his muddy hands, how much more horrified should we be at the prospect of approaching God? Because of our sin, we're not just dirty on the outside. Our hearts are unclean, and God doesn't just wear white gloves. He is absolutely pure. And here's the thing, guys. It won't just be embarrassing. It has eternal consequences. If we appear before God in the filthy rags of our own righteousness, if we come before God clothed in our old selves, we will be hopeless. But if we come before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ, having put on the new self as a new creation, He will joyously welcome us into heaven. If you're sitting here today and you're trying to do this in your own strength, you're going to fail just like all those resolutions. But if you go to Christ and you throw yourself on His mercy and you repent of your sins, believe in Him, you will be changed. You will be a new creation and you will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And instead of going fearfully into His presence, you can go boldly before His throne. But if you've already done that, then the encouragement is simple. Don't look back. Don't go back to the pig pen or the filthy rags of your old self. Walk in the newness of life we have in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you once more this morning, and Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Lord, that we are washed clean by the blood of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and sanctify believers who are here today, that they would not go back to the old self, but Lord, you would continue to renew them and help them to walk again in the newness of life we have in you. But Lord, if there is a lost person who's here today, Lord, we pray that you would call them from their sins. Lord, you'd call them from the filthy rags of their own righteousness. You'd call them from that old self. Lord, you would shine light into their darkened minds. Lord, you would give them understanding. Father, they would no longer be alienated from the life that is in you, but Lord, they would be united to you in Christ. Father, we just ask your blessings on our church in this time of reflection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship 
Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.